0: Hey everybody, hey everybody, welcome to another episode of All In, the podcast, episode 8. Besties are here to talk about tech, economy, politics, the election, and our lives in Silicon Valley. Uh, welcome back to the pod, David Friedberg, the queen of Kinwa is here from an undisclosed location. J.K.L.,
1: always a, always a joy. Yes. Undisclosed and location somewhere in the Midwest.
0: You, you bailed on SF after the smoke. You you lasted how many days into the barbecue, into the orange cloud?
1: I left on the Wednesday of the orange cloud and uh took it was crazy. Took my kiddos and we're uh we're waiting it out the fires in the uh in the Midwest.
0: Well, it's beautiful the last two days here. Uh also from an undisclosed bestie location, David Sachs back on the program. Rain man is here. Yep. Definitely here. Good to be here. All right. Well, there you go. Yeah. Man of many words. And speaking of <laughs> a man of many words, hot off of seven keynotes this week talking about Spax, the uh, Prince of Spax, um, Chamath Palihapitiya back on the pod.
2: How are you, besties?
0: Well, we had a little bestie reunion, which I think we can talk about. Chamath invited us over to have an outdoor bestie reunion.
2: Yeah. And you gave... One of them gonorrhea, and you gave the other two.
0: <laughs> well, we—it's it, crazy to say, but I literally had to call Chamath uh, two or three days after he hosted. Ah,
2: a so a socially by the way, a socially distanced dinner outdoors.
0: Socially distanced dinner outdoors, wonderful. Yeah. We had some great ribeye, fantastic. Uh, cracked open a nice bottle or, or two of wine and the port. And but but then, what did you do? Well, then a family member of mine who shall remain
1: nameless
0: (laughs) decided to go to a party uh, in San Francisco and possibly got the Rona and he tested positive. And then I had to get everybody in my house tested twice. Everybody came back negative, but I had to call Chamath and tell him, listen, I, I wasn't exposed, but some members of my family were. Therefore, I might have secondhand exposure. I took two tests, came back negative two times in a row.
2: Can can I just say though, it's really crazy. Like you, we have to develop all these new social norms, and you're not sure what to say, and you're not you're not sure how to react. And it's like it's it, it must have been like when you know you got a call, and it's like, hey, listen, uh, uh, you know, your girlfriend's like, oh, I may be pregnant, or like you know, somebody's like, hey, listen, I have an STD. Like you just like what's going on? I felt like here? that when I was
0: texting the group chat. <laughs> think- it was like three of us, and I had to text, um, with my my. T- between my legs, I think I've been exposed. I'm really sorry, guys.
3: I think Calcanus is the Greek word for turd in the punch bowl. <laughs> you know, it's all... Code 13? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't know if we can tell the, the Code 13 oh, story. Oh, I'm going to tell the Code 13 story. <laughs> co-
2: I wasn't even there, but I... <laughs>
0: the Code so 13 fun. story is legendary. Jason,
2: Jason Jason, Calcanus gets invited by David Sachs out of his benevolence to come to stay uh, in Hawaii at the Four Seasons. And uh, at somewhere, some point during this week-long vacation, all Christmas you hear, Day, Christmas Day, you hear a shout from the pool from the lifeguard. Well, no, no, <laughs> it was it was even
3: before that. We were sitting at the bar, so me and Jason and his brother-in-law were sitting at the bar having drinks, and all of a sudden there was a commotion, and the bartenders and the staff, and you started hearing people on walkie-talkie saying "Code thirteen, code 13. People you know, we are running. People are running. Run. We don't we don't know what to make of that. We
0: think it's know? a terrorist attack. <laughs> I mean, literally, the four seasons is on a high alert.
3: Alarms are going off. Boop, boop, right. and then and then we hear, okay, well, we were like, we said to the bartender, "Well, what's a code 13? And he's like, "Well, it means that some kid, you know, uh, crapped in the pool. You know, <laughs> did a number two in the pool," and we're and we're like, you know, and then. And we're like, okay, well, you know,
1: it was oh, Jason's but, kid. Well, so, so then, then I started hearing something
3: about like the Sax kids, and I'm like, oh no, sax code thirteen. Yes, you yeah. on sax they, they thought it was us, and then it turns out it was it was Jacob's kid, and we were we were never able to get a, 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 a reservation. No, but the they to, again. Well, what's so visit. funny
2: is like yeah. I I, been, I went I went there at one point a few years later, and it's a whole ordeal because they said, so how do you guys deal with like you know a code thirteen? They're like, oh, code
0: thirteen. <laughs> You have to evacuate the whole hotel. Half the island gets sent to Here's what had to happen. This is on just to put the code 13 in perspective. I I think my 10-year-old at the time was two years old. My sister-in-law takes the baby in the pool without telling anybody, and the baby's not wearing a swim diaper. And so basically a Snickers bar floats out of the (laughs) (laughs) and there's a Snickers bar (laughs) in the pool. And you guys have kids, you know how big these things can get. You're like, how is that possible? (laughs) <laughs> that, uh, you know, like a movie theater size Snicker, a king size Snicker <laughs> pool is floating in the middle of the pool. But this is on December 25th. These poor people are spending $3,000 a night. There is not a single Chase lounge by the pool that's not occupied. It is peak capacity at the uh, Four Seasons Hotel on the Big Island or wherever it was. The pool has to be shut down for four hours. The person has to get in with a hazmat suit, retrieve the Snickers bar. king size Snickers has to get out of the park. Then they have to throw in every chemical known to man, so much so that the pool is ruined for Christmas Day. And that's the Code 13 story. All right, getting back to our topics. TikTok is on the verge of being banned from additional U.S. downloads. The Commerce Department has announced that it will ban U.S. downloads and business transactions with TikTok and WeChat. Somehow WeChat got pulled into this on Sunday. Um, This will... um, Seemingly, we're going to allow TikTok uh, to operate until November 12th. So they got a little bit of a stay of execution. Uh, but of course, if they can't update in the App Store, that means there could be any security vulnerabilities that get found between now and then would not be able to be updated. <clears throat> and Steve Muchen is Muchin, Muchin, <laughs> right, attempting uh, to push through a TikTok deal uh, that will enable retaining some Chinese ownership um, and there's some sort of agreement now with Oracle. We'll have some kind of an oversight board uh, to do continuous third-party audits. What does this say, uh, Chamath, about uh, where we're at? And do you believe that you know, a, a Democratic uh, leader, let's say Obama or Biden, uh, would have taken the same approach here? Does it worry you that the government's getting this involved? Or is this inspiring that the government's putting their foot down and saying, hey, listen, uh we're going to need to have some basic level of reciprocity from china if we're going to allow you in our app sir you know
2: i think i think it's kind of like um you know like if you've ever been driving someplace with your significant other and they're like turn left and you're like no 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 i'm going to turn right and then you realize you should have turned left but then you keep turning right a few more times then you take a couple more lefts but then you end up at the the same place but it was complete shit dumb luck um I feel like we're going to end up in the same place here with TikTok, which is that I think that the Trump administration probably is doing this and Donald Trump specifically probably does this more as a demonstration of power um, and, you know, American exceptionalism, um, which I'm not sure is the right reason to do it. Um, but I think the outcome is right, which is that, um, you know, for years, China has essentially been shut out to American companies unless you effectively just kowtow to these guys. Um, and you know, some companies have and some companies like, you know, Google have not, and other companies like Facebook have been totally basically blocked from entering. Um, and so I think it's completely right. It's, it's, it's unfair to have the asymmetric market advantage that, that Chinese companies have had. And so you have to play hardball to create a different set of rules. And I think this probably gets us to that place. The reason why it's happening is probably more because the TikTok people played that joke on Trump at the Tulsa rally. If you had, if I had to guess.
0: Yeah. Uh, What do you think, Friedberg? Is this a good sign for America and the globe that, you know, and and the democratic nations of the world that we're going to put our foot down with China and say, hey, some reciprocity, or you're not going to be able to participate in our marketplace? Or is this a personal vendetta from Trump or a little bit of both?
1: I I don't see how it's um, anything but uh, a slippery slope forward in the escalation of, um, you know, what's going to be kind of transpiring between these two nations and the The next couple of years and maybe decades, you know, this goes back to the, you know, early 2000s when Google and others wanted to enter China and China has for for those who don't know, China has this great firewall, right? Chinese citizens can't openly access the rest of the Internet. And China wanted to censor content and censor um, what, what their citizens are accessing. Um, and so there, there's been a back and forth between the tech industry and China, uh, going back almost 20 years now to try and figure out how we can bring our services to China. And then China launches a service that's very successful in the US in, in TikTok. And um, I think it's just a, 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 you know, a, a part of the reciprocity equation, which doesn't resolve anything. It only escalates things. So it's unfortunate, but it's just kind of a, another step in the path um, that I think is inevitable in front of us here.
0: Sachs, uh, we'll give you the, the final word here. Uh, is this a good thing for humanity, for international relations, that China is you know having a little bit of a hand check here? Like, hey, there's going to be a limit to how you can operate in the West? Uh, or is this a personal vendetta from Trump? And then what do you see going forward?
3: Um, it's it, it, It's true that, I mean, first of all, our social networks are not allowed over there. So I don't think we need to feel bad about um, you know, not allowing their social networks over here. But besides reciprocity or, or the lack of it, um, I think the deeper reason for this is just around uh, data security and and how the, you know, and I think that the, the CCP has given us adequate grounds here to ban not just TikTok, but, you know, apps like that, um, because President Xi himself declared this policy of civil-military fusion, which means that any business um, in China, any business asset there, including data, can be appropriated to serve the the ends of the Chinese military or the Communist Party. And, you know, the, the CCP has set up this vast surveillance apparatus over its own citizens. It's um, asserted um, extraterritorial sovereignty over former Chinese citizens, meaning dissidents. Um, so the, the Chinese diaspora anywhere in the world, uh, they've asserted sovereignty over that. And, um, you know, recently there was a pretty remarkable speech by the FBI director Christopher Wray describing, you know, Operation uh, Fox Hunt, which is the Chinese effort to track down and presumably ultimately punish Chinese dissidents anywhere in the world, and as part of that, that the Chinese have sort of weaponized AI and social media. And so uh, he also described, I mean, this is like pretty amazing. I did not you know, that the that the Equifax hack, which collected data on something like sensitive data on over 100 million Americans. The Chinese were behind that um, i didn't know that, and um, so you know it, it, it's tr- it's true that you know no one piece of data poses a, a, by itself a risk to 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 the security of, of America or Americans, but it's th- sort of the systematic collection and aggregation of the data and the hacking uh, collectively that I do think pose a security threat and um, and I think you got to
0: stop right there sach yeah. actually an individual's data could absolutely be compromised if they have access to your uh, passwords because through the clipboard, they have access to your phone roll. If a young person had photos that were say compromising in their photo roll, the phone is you know, basically given access to that, they upload that. Now you could use that as compromise against a senator's child or against a senator themselves. And this seems like an abstract thing, but this is exactly what the Chinese and Russians have been doing for a very long time, if you've seen the series The Americans and you go back to the 80s, to see the weaponization of you know, somebody who was in the closet who was gay during that time or somebody who was having an extramarital affair, you could compromise anybody with just sexual compromise. And you hear we're giving access to hundreds of millions of people's photo libraries you, by and the way, clipboards.
2: By the way, you just said something that's really scary, which is like if you're, if you're the Chinese and you know, they have the patience to play the long game, uh, you just aggregate and collect this thing for 30 years on the off chance that one of these people becomes important i mean what is the real and you cost? got a manchurian candidate just you you just surveil 300 million americans and just say uh, you know what we'll take our shot i mean it's going to cost us a few billion dollars a year in storage who cares
1: yeah i'm not like is is there really a case that what they're doing in the tiktok app i don't know how much you guys have read um, some of the studies on, on what they are actually pulling. But is there really a case that what they're pulling is particularly different than what would be pulled by pretty much any other social app or photo sharing app on your phone? Um, there was some, in, you know, kind of insight that, hey, they were capturing the Mac address, but that was up until last November. After November, they, the, the app kind of refreshed and stopped doing that. And it was a hack that some number of apps out there were already doing. But my understanding is the way that they've built the app, it's the same kind of, ad tracking type um, approach that, that a lot of apps are taking.
0: I, I, think you, I think it's a naive position that because we haven't caught them doing something nefarious, that they aren't actually doing something nefarious right now. If you look at what uh, MBS did to Jeff Bezos sending that, um, I guess it was a movie file or an image that then wound up hacking his WeChat and his phone. Like, yep. I think they've built the software. I think it's purpose built. Uh, whether it's WeChat or TikTok, to have these backdoors, There's no way yeah, the Chinese government yeah, is I not mean, influencing that.
2: Guys, look, if you, if you had to bet, David, um, what do you think the odds are between zero and 100, with 100 being absolute certainty, that there are foreign national spies that work at Google, Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft?
1: That's my point. It's, is it, I mean, look, I think that there are. No, no, no but do you think have, it's 100%? And- oh, of course it's 100 yeah, I think so. at every one of them, it's probably a hundred percent. Yeah, at least one, you know, foreign national that has a connection to intelligence in China. Yeah, it's probably a hundred percent. Hundred
2: percent. So my point is, TikTok is a hundred Chinese, hundred percent Chinese. So we don't even have to guess whether it's. <laughs> it's
1: my, my, my my point is, like, if 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 there is some, you know, access to personal data that we're all concerned about being compromised at literally every other fucking app company. Yeah, we're but every exposed. other co- app company I mean, it, is
0: not <laughs> connected to. You know, but the
1: point that Chamat just made is that they very well could be. The fact is, we as individuals have exposed all of our personal and private data to six or seven companies.
2: I think you're saying a the really way. right thing. It is a This is a canary in the coal mine for a bigger issue. This is why I'm saying, I think that, you know, Trump is probably acting out of an expression of power. But I think what we're realizing is actually this is about... Core fundamental privacy and the safety yeah. and security of each of us as individuals. And it should start a bigger conversation. Like privacy, I, I, I really do think this privacy is the killer feature of the 2020s. Right. Um, you know, what David just said about like, you know, if you're, if you're a Chinese na- ex national, the idea that you're like, look, I've been a citizen of three countries. The idea that the Sri Lankan government all of a sudden may not like what I have to say and can spy on me or, you know, root my phone or steal my data. It really disturbs me. Like, uh, I'm sorry, but no, go fuck yourself. Like, I left that right. country for a reason.
3: Yeah, so I think I think the Republican to watch on this is um, well, besides Trump, I guess is uh, there's a Senator Josh Hawley, who is um, crazy. Int- well, he's he he's sort of a, a critic of of big tech, <laughs> and um, I think he's got some interesting things to say. But but in this particular area, he is proposing legislation to regulate the types of information that can be collected by applications that are based in countries that are fundamentally hostile or adversarial to the US. And that to me seems like the right policy, because, you know, it's not just about TikTok, it's about all the apps that collect information on Americans that can be appropriated by you know, the Chinese Communist Party or Russia or Iran, places like that. And so I think we need a more holistic policy here than just banning TikTok. And it may not be necessary to ban TikTok if you had the right limitations placed on them. But, um, but I, but I, but I, but I do think this, this, this whole, um, sort of compromise solution with Larry Ellison and Oracle, that makes no sense to me. This idea that, you know, Ellison will own 20% of the company, but nothing else really changes. It'll still be based in China. Uh, a Chinese company. there will still be Chinese engineers based in China. Who you know, and they still own eighty percent of it. I mean, how how does that really address the the data security no, don't issue? Don't
2: you don't you think, David, that that's just basically a way of just it's a wealth transfer to Larry Ellison, totally. which I think is amazing. I mean, if I could totally, do that, I it's, would
3: do it. Yeah, it's ByteDance. Dance. It's no, it's it's it's, it's, it's Trump dance. Put it in your lap. Yeah. No, it's it's Byte Dance. Uh, 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 it's bite Dance paying political protection money. Yeah. To Larry Ellison to be their bodyguard in this political process, but and I but that's why I don't think it's going to fly. I mean, Hawley has already said that it's not good enough for him, and so even if I think and it doesn't live up to, the, to Trump stated criteria, even though he seems to be is supporting this ultimately
1: it right now. a CFIUS ruling? Sachs is that who's going to make the final call on this, or does uh, Trump have sole executive kind of authority on on um, foreign security on security grounds to kind of block it?
3: Does it go to CFIUS? I don't. know. That's a good question. I think CFIUS disapproves M um, and A. Right, it has,
1: to, it has to approve it. Yeah, I mean, so you're right. I yeah. mean, there are there are members of Congress that are all going to need to be convinced to get this thing done.
3: Well, but uh, CFIUS approves M and A. I didn't think they could like block applications this, as, a, as that are of last in year. Market.
1: As a, as of last year, every investment um, triggers CFIUS. It's it's a weird new thing that happened. Uh, I was involved in a company recently. Yeah, but that seems edit.
0: secondary to the national security power that. The,
1: that Trump may have. So this is almost yeah. like
0: a two-tier kind of thing. One is to approve. One is for it to, um, you know, for, for if, Trump to be cool with it, uh, national security terms, and then second is the antitrust issues.
1: If we just go back a second, talking about the broad, you know, as Chamath called it, kind of this canary in a coal mine. You know, I don't know how many of you guys use an Amazon Echo or a Google Home or Amazon Fire TV or a Nest thermostat. Every. Every single, every single one of them has ambient audio listening on it. Every single one of them, even, and another thing people don't realize is every speaker is actually a microphone as well as a speaker. You can actually listen on any house speaker, whether it's a Sonos device or, or what have you. Um, and so we've got, uh, you know, our homes are already wired. Um, Amazon Fire TV runs on fucking Android. Um, I mean, there is a hundred ways into your home a- as it is. It seems to me like there, there's a significant concern about how much data we are already exposing that's being highlighted here. I don't think that there's, you know, it's sort of like playing uh, where you try and pop the hamsters in the game. (laughs) It's like, at some point, we're going to realize these things are here everywhere. And it's not just uh, a company, but it is how we are living our lives now and how technology is kind of um, capturing every piece of information about everything we do. This is, is, I go back to this,
2: somebody will take this, or many people will take this and run with it but I think that there is an enormous amount of money um, that consumers will pay for the assurance of anonymity and privacy. I don't really know how it's expressed, David, but like, you know, for example, like if I could get a phone that was completely locked down and encrypted and... um like a
0: burner phone is what you're talking about. And like a lot of people are now doing this. They take a second phone, they put well, a VP, VPNs are the, are the first step. And I, and you're seeing like, I try to become very
1: popular.
2: Well, like I try to use signal. I try to use FaceTime audio. I'll even use WhatsApp now just because these things are end to end encrypted. And I have nothing particularly important or interesting to say or hide. Um, but I just don't like the idea that in the, in the open wild, um I'm just I just feel very vulnerable um to data breaches more than any other kind of breach. I mean, I had this conversation with somebody that was um you know sort of helping me lock down uh my Wi-Fi network, you know, and for a long time I only had one endpoint and all of a sudden he's like, "Look, let's have a a home and a guest." <laughs> but but in that conversation what he was saying is um the 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 biggest form of theft isn't like burglaries anymore. It's basically people just having packet sniffers outside your house. Um, because they can get access to everything and anything. And, uh, can, I ask it,
1: you, can I ask you a question? There's a, there's a book by a guy named Stephen Baxter. It was a f- science fiction book from years ago, and Arthur Clarke called The Light of Other Days. And these guys developed a wormhole technology. They could put it in any house, and they could see and listen to everything. And suddenly the technology became kind of ubiquitous. So everyone could create a wormhole anywhere and see and hear everything. So effectively, information was completely transferable and free and available to everyone. And uh, the book kind of highlights how society changed in that context. So in a world where you see where everyone is and what everyone is doing and saying, there's no longer any notion of information asymmetry and the way people operate and behave changes because so much of our life is dependent on people not knowing things about us that we know. Um, So when when your employee is going to go interview for another job, and they tell you they're going to the dentist, you can say like, hey, that's not true. And the guy says, you know what? I'm actually thinking about looking for another job because I hate working for you. You suck. So everyone starts changing kind of how they behave. Do you think that 50 years from now, that's where the world heads? Do you really think it's possible to stop this train in its tracks and not end up in a world of what I would call kind of like hyper-transparency where all information becomes kind of, because it's already being collected everywhere about everyone and it's so only I, I think it's possible. rising exponentially?
0: People are going to start. I, I, I think that people are going to start turning their homes into like those skiffs, you know, sensitive compartmented information facilities. You always hear about like senators going into the skiff kind of situation for private stuff. I think like people are going to start taking this very seriously as they get compromised, you know, time after time and embarrassing. And uh, you can see it with Apple making it their marketing strategy. Apple's, marketing you don't, you don't, you don't think society is,
1: changes.
2: Oh, I think well, it will already
0: changed already with like people getting their phones hacked and their, you know, news being leaked. People I are it, now beca- normalize that.
2: I think it makes right. the world a much shittier right. place because it basically robs us of our own independence and our fundamental right to privacy. And I just think that's a really bad outcome. And so, you know what? Like, if, if like the need for likes, uh, and tweets, uh, and followers, uh, leads me to a place where I lose privacy, I would just say shut them all down now. Um, because I think that people's self-worth is much bigger than what they understand it to be if they're willing to make that trade-off.
1: But Uh, do you think most people appreciate that?
2: No, no,
3: no. I would also also just add that just because there's more transparency doesn't mean that it serves the interests of truth. Like Jason said earlier, um, this information can be used to create, you know, ops, you know, and uh, manipulate. And, um, you know, it's – and so, um, yeah, I don't, you know, it, like like Trotsky said, just because you're not interested in war doesn't mean war isn't interested in you. I mean, this data can be collected to run operations on people uh, that don't serve, you know, the interests of greater transparency or the I truth. I think
2: I think people don't think from first principles on this topic. This is sort of like the the idiotic orthodoxy of Silicon Valley, which is like they they wrap themselves in the flag of transparency like it means something, but they have no real idea what it really means at scale and at the limit. And right. you know, there's one thing about getting access to a fucking looker dashboard, who cares, totally. you know? and But the word transparency is used for that the same way that it's used for David, exactly what you just said. And they're two completely different things. They have completely different meanings and uh, the latter's implications are so much more important. Um, and we need to think about this from first principles because I think people's inherent um, identity as human beings ultimately gets put at risk over time
0: it should absolutely be the case that these social networks or anybody collecting data gives an op this is the way i would form the legislation if you are running a service like facebook twitter google for free and you're monetizing through advertising you <laughs> must provide an op.
3: like what, what, what they do provide <laughs> they, the they, monetiz- monetize. Monetize. <laughs> <They're>, they monetize. <laughs> Oh, listen! If you're monetizing (laughs) your service
0: through advertising services, then I think you should be forced to give a option for whatever the amount of that monetization is a year to pay as a subscription. (laughs) So, for example, if Facebook makes eighty dollars per person,
3: (laughs) you you lost a you lost this monetization, (laughs) Jason. Sorry, I think let's it's it's over. It's over. over. Next segment. Next next next, segments, segment. next segment. Next
1: segment. All right.
0: <laughs> <Next> uh, <laughs> uh, all right, well just as we wrap up here on this segment, Kevin Systrom might uh he's in the running apparently to take over for TikTok. Uh is that a good idea? Uh Sax, I think you know Systrom.
3: I I think it's a pretty it, it's it's a dumb idea unless the company literally becomes an American company. I don't know why you've made this point in the context of Kevin Mayer, like if if the, if he's working for ByteDance, he's working for the ByteDance board directors, which reports to the CCP. It's just why, why would someone who's in his position want to sacrifice his independence to do that?
0: Yeah, it makes no sense. I mean, that's this is becoming the big test on everybody's moral compass, especially Hollywood, which is changing the ending of movies to satisfy the CCP, like literally the people who are the biggest virtue signals in the world, celebrities, Hollywood,
3: China, China knows how to use its market access. We don't, we just threw open our markets to their products, uh, which caused, you know, us to lose our whole, you know, industrial, um, you know, manufacturing capacity. Uh, We didn't demand anything really in exchange for that. Whereas in order to get access to China, you have to say and do the right things or certainly to, to not criticize them. And so they they know how to use, as we saw with the NBA and the whole um, Daryl Morey thing, um, You know, th- they know how to use their market access.
0: All right, well, let's go on to the economy here. We've been sheltering in place uh, essentially for six months. Uh, and now people are starting to talk about, hey, uh, maybe we need to do another lockdown. Um, and obviously this, Uh, economic challenge is being felt very differently. In some places, it's an opportunity. Obviously, a lot of people with SaaS software and, um, you know, people who work behind keyboards are having a renaissance and a lot of the economy is pouring into their keyboards while restaurants, retail, uh, and anybody who has to work in the real world is part of what's becoming essentially a permanent unemployed class that, Perhaps this is starting to look like a dry run of UBI. What are your thoughts, Chamath, on this permanent unemployment situation? Um, I, I have a, I have a bunch of thoughts here. Let me just go kind of give
2: you the stream of consciousness. Like um, Jerome Powell gave a speech, I think it was two or three weeks ago in Jackson Hole. Um, and he basically said, like, look, the Federal Reserve is taking a completely new posture on rates. And, um, you know, they, they basically clarified that in explicit detail just... Um, Uh, just a few days ago. uh, And they basically said, we're keeping rates where they are until at least 2023. You know, my personal view for rates are going to stay basically at zero for the next half decade. And I think it's probably pretty likely that we're going to see rates stay at zero, probably a full decade. So um, what does that mean? Okay, well, in a typical recession, what happens is you uh, don't know where the bottom is, right? Things sort of sort of decay, they get a little bit worse, they get a little bit worse, they get a little bit worse, then things bottom out, and then you know you start to grow. And you can use interest rate policy to kind of help navigate how soft the landing is as well as how fast the recovery is. That's sort of like classic economics and how bankers and the markets and all these folks used to work, and it eventually would trickle into Main Street. Now, we just have none of those things. We have rates zero. They're not going to go anywhere. They're not going to go up. They're probably not going to go down. They're going to kind of just stay where they are. Um, that's one thing. Second is we priced in the bottom, which was the first month of the coronavirus. We took the markets basically assuming, oh, there's no growth. And now we've priced things back as if they'll recover. The rating agencies are out to lunch. They have basically said, you know what? I'm going to look out till 2021 or 2022. Give me a reason to justify not to downgrade you so that you can continue to raise more debt, which by the way is um, free. Um, So you have all these dynamics where I think the capital markets are in an expansive mood and an expansive mode. And in that, I actually think there's a, a real bid to uh, employment because there isn't really that many ways now you can, without just getting completely ripped apart, put money to work. And so the, the the real earnest capital allocation strategy that's left for most CEOs is to actually buy things, invest in things, try more things. Um, and all of those, I think, lead to net employment. So in general, I'm kind of constructive and bullish. Um, and I don't think that this idea that there's a permanent unemployment class um, sticks around.
0: Freeberg, what are your thoughts? Obviously, a lot of Americans work in retail. Um, you know, we obviously uh, have all these restaurant workers who are out of work and Travel is uh, now hitting the end of the furloughs at a lot of these um, different airlines, et cetera. What's your thought on this unemployment middle America um, catastrophe
1: Well, I don't think um, happiness comes from you know absolute standards of living. I think happiness arises. From one's relative standard of living, whether that's relative to how you lived last year or how you're living relative to your neighbor and, and seeing some progression over time is the only thing that keeps people happy. It's otherwise society decays. So the notion of some sort of flatlined or even flatlined and inflation adjusted uh, basic income level. For a large number of people, will inevitably result in kind of what we're trying to prevent, which is you know some sort of decay, societal decay. We have to resolve the uh, the opportunity framework for people, which is how do you give people an opportunity to kind of progress in their lives and earn more over time and have access to you know doing more with themselves while they're here on planet Earth. I mean that's just what humans need. So um, you know maybe there's a short term fix, but I think we've got some structural things to fix. To kind of enable um, opportunities and and give people kind of an inherent uh, you know um, uh, kind of a step ladder in life. I heard a really dark theory a few years ago, which is if we do this, we're going to resolve to a world where we're going to have a bunch of people playing video games because then the only way you can get people to feel like they're progressing in their lives is to give them more medals on their video games and give them a higher ranking and score. And that's where society g- kind of gets to to kind of keep people psychologically kind of satiated. Um, and it's a pretty dark, you know, sad place if that's where we end up. It's like a bad episode of Black Mirror, but we've had a few episodes of Black Mirror this year. So, you know, right, we'll It sounds see.
0: like Ready Player One uh, with a master's yeah. where we're right. playing video games instead of actually going out in the real that's world. That's right, totally. Yeah. Sax, what, what's your thought on, you know, just the next two years, let's say, and how this all shakes out, and and this will give us a good segue into the coronavirus and, and where we stand right now with this potential second lockdown and the impact that might have psychologically on people and also on the economy.
3: I there's not going to be a second lockdown. It doesn't make any sense. And even if there were, people aren't going to support it. Um certainly any of the uh red states aren't going to do it. I guess the blue states may they, they still haven't, you know, sort of unlocked down. So maybe that gets more protracted in places like California. But um, but it, it, we're, we're not going to go back into lockdowns and people won't support. It. And I think the thing that we basically figured out that should have been obvious months ago now is that um, coronavirus is really like two different diseases in terms of its effects on on people. So for elderly people and for people with risk factors, it's very dangerous you know i'm very worried about my parents and you know for for people in that group they have to take you know extreme precautions but for young healthy people without risk factors it's um it's not been that deadly it's it's very unpleasant it's a very bad two weeks but um but you know for example if you look at the data now on uh on colleges coming back um there's been some reports that the virus is spreading like wildfire on college campuses. That's true. But hospitalizations and, and deaths have not gone up. And so because it's just not that um, it's just not that deadly to, to, to younger people. And so I think this idea of shutting down the whole economy to protect people at risk is just seems like um, overkill. And I think if we had to do it all over again, we wouldn't have done lockdowns. So we just would have protected at risk people.
0: Uh, We've still consistently had uh, a thousand deaths a day. We thought this might go down. What are your thoughts on Americans just being okay with that, um, that basic death toll sacks?
3: Well, I mean, any death is, is obviously bad and tragic and um, you know, and statistically there are going to be people who, who die even who are in the, you know, Lotus group. So for sure. But, you know, but we've had about 200,000 deaths. The original estimates from this virus were two to three million. So um, it's, I guess my point is not that it's not bad, but it's, you know, but that it's, um, you know, much less deadly than I think was originally thought.
1: There's an argument that that's not deaths directly attributable to coronavirus, right? And that um, the vast majority of, uh, of those folks had comorbidities, and that, you know, the the primary driver, this is an argument many have made, I'm not going to take a strong point. Um, But you know, 85% plus of folks have significant comorbidities. um, And you know, this virus maybe um, kind of has a contributing factor to their death. But if let's assume everyone in the United States had Coronavirus today, then every death that was reported today would be reported as a Coronavirus death. Um, And so they're testing a lot of folks, um, uh, you know, in the hospital finding that they have Coronavirus, it's un, you know, it's very difficult to then prove that the reason that they died or the sole reason that they died was coronavirus. If you so had to pick these, a percentage,
0: they, Friedberg, where would you put it? Half of all the, deaths? If you just had to guess.
1: But that's my point is I don't think it's one thing, right? I, I'm not sure that it's someone goes into the hospital with coronavirus, and they've also got severe diabetes, heart disease, cancer, they're on chemotherapy. I mean, you could list the other things that they might have. What caused their death? You know, you can't, as, as a coroner, it's very difficult to say this one thing caused the death. But when they test that person, and they find that they're Coronavirus positive, they are, that number is now being counted in the statistics that say that was a Coronavirus death that day. And Coronavirus is so prevalent in the United States right now. It's such a significant part of the population. It's also very difficult to say, hey, guys, like, you know, these deaths are um... so I, I'm not trying to belittle the fact that people are absolutely dying. And they wouldn't have died if not for Coronavirus, that is absolutely happening. Um, but it's very difficult to say what is the net a- effect on life right now. Uh, we're still learning a lot about how this virus interacts with different people based on their genetics and based on their disease state and, and, and other factors.
0: Let me ask you one more way for you, Freiberg, and then I'll, I'll give it over to Chamath, which is, Freiberg, in your estimation as a scientist and somebody who's, a, a, I would say, a man of science on the call here, uh, are you optimistic about us coming out of coronavirus in 2021 and what's your best outlook for a return to normalcy? If you had to pick a time when it feels like we can go to a Warriors game or play cards regularly or go to the World Series of Poker, Wendy, do you have a a time period where you think that could possibly happen?
1: It's all politics and social behavior. It has nothing to do with science. Like, after 9-11, there were no more serious, like, terrorist attacks on the United States, but our fucking lives changed dramatically. We go sit in TSA lines and, you know, get our asses swabbed when we get on an airplane now. And that's still going on 20 years later. So I'm I'm pretty sure there's a lot of change that's here to stay in the U.S. because of coronavirus and will be even after everyone gets vaccines and the deaths drop below 10 a day and yada yada. So, um... Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm not convinced that this is like, hey, here's the date. We're all going to be out of it, and then we're safe. Because people are psychologically scarred. Behavior has changed. Businesses have changed. The landscape of how we work as a society has changed, and that's not going away. So it's 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 not like we're going to go back. I think it's like we're going forward into a different world where we operate differently, much as what happened after nine eleven. What's your take
2: on that, Chumup? I think that uh, David's right that, you know, were it but for coronavirus, I think a lot of these people that died would still be alive. And so, you know, I don't think it really matters how much of the blame we're trying to ascribe to it. It's just that it was a meaningful, non-trivial contributing factor. So these deaths are avoidable and we have to deal with that. The second is, I don't think what we know what the peak to trough looks like because we haven't really gone through a real full-blown flu season yet. Um, you know, coronavirus came to America at the tail end of the winter. And uh it's going to be, um I think, tough to figure out what it's going to do in October, November, December, January, February, when it's really cold in many parts of the United States. And, you know, uh whatever effects, again, we still don't know it in totality, but whatever effects the warm weather had in muting it or whatever mutation muted it. Uh, may change. So I tend to think it's another 18 to 24 months of this posture. But Friedberg is really right, which is like, this is what's so sad, which is when you could point a finger and look at somebody and say, you, you're the cause, it was much easier to react and create rules and create boundaries as uncomfortable or as inconvenient as they were and live by them. And because this is more nameless and faceless, it's impossible. Um
0: All right. Well, here's some good news. I was able to acquire. uh, I've been on a little investigative journalism kick asking people if they have access to rapid testing uh, kits, uh, i.e. they have them in Korea. And I was able to get, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, Friedberg, the rapid response Liberty COVID-19 IgG slash IgM test cassettes. Um, And they cost 15 to 20 bucks each, and they take 10 minutes um they're easy to use
1: um i mean i've had those since march and they cost 50 cents each so um, so these are now really officially changed.
0: available though in the united states you had those from some other country correct
1: i got from china and i got from the u.s and i got from korea um and 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 these things are just made everywhere dude and they're like they're these are the um anti they accurate pests, right or? yes yeah, the so there's a paper that was published at UCSF. Um, I uh, I got an acknowledgement because of my donations to support the research, um, and it showed that it uh, these tests have uh, actually very good um, specificity, and the sensitivity is um, is going to be call it eighty five percent. Um, but these are antibody tests, and, and further research has shown that not everyone has the same antibody response after getting infected, and there's a relationship between how severe the disease is for you and, and various other factors. So, uh, and these will only show up typically, you know, days to weeks after you get infected. The antigen tests, which are the more common kind of ones that everyone's looking for now, are these tests that can actually find the virus itself. And so they'll take a swab of your nose or some saliva from your mouth and see if there's any virus in there and it's a much much lower sensitivity than the pcr test which is the expensive you know lab test but it can be done on a stick and it's a good enough thing for letting people into say a football game um and our a good friend of ours just texted me and told me that they're doing this at uh, the ut austin game they're using this antigen test to let people into the uh uh, the football game today so um or this weekend so it's getting kind of more widespread use and so
0: when we have those tests at scales what will the world look like freeberg
1: I don't know. You'll it's just like the TSA. You'll get swabbed, and you know these things. It's great business to be in, by the way. If you guys, you know, want to spack a Korean uh, antigen test, business, these things are going to sell like crazy. There, uh, yeah. There's a
2: company that um, I heard of through a friend, which had it's an Israeli company. I never followed up on it, uh, which was a, a, effectively a breathalyzer. Um, which would be, could you just imagine that would be incredible, right?
3: Right. You just well, there, breathe you, in a yeah, few seconds. We, we, we've talked about this in our chat group. There are, there are startups like, um, uh, was it Quidel, Hamodius, Q, who've got these little, you know, two, $300 little handheld readers and the cartridges are basically mouth swabs or lower nas- nasal swabs, you know, cost 10 bucks. And I think, you know, I think they'll be, they're going to be rolling out over the next few months. And assuming we can scale the production of them, I think they will be everywhere. And, uh, you know, it'll, it, I don't think it'll be a government mandated thing. So I don't think the government will get its act together, but it'll be the kind of thing where you go shopping at a store or whatever and they'll, they'll be early adopters or a restaurant. They'll start using it. People will realize, well, wait, I don't want to get swabbed three times a day. So then they'll get some sort of like receipt or voucher they can take with them to the next place. And so I, I think you know I, I'm I'm like actually like I think I'm more optimistic than you guys about COVID right now. I think that whether it's because of these rapid tests or because of treatments coming, or just this fundamental fact about comorbidities. Again, not absolving, not not saying that COVID isn't serious, but this the fact that we've learned that it's um, you know that it, it's it's really deadly primarily for people who have comorbidities. I think for all of these reasons, I think COVID is going to be a distant memory by next summer. I really do I think um I think behaviorally spe- too. what's that? you
1: you think behavioral changes as well, like businesses and movie theaters?
3: To listen to the
2: rest of the podcast, search for all in with Chamath, Jason, Sachs, and Friedberg available across all major podcasting platforms.